the breweries Matt maybe need a little like a little um, temperature gauge on the on the cans that shows their um, you know uh, passion investment <laughs> level or something like yeah. that. Like no, they, they, they need we're actually passionate about it. Maybe we need to do one of those uh, lie detector scans, like do a lie detector test, and the can oh, wrapping thermal. is yeah, color yeah. changes. Um, well, well, you know, and, and it shows the questions: Are you going to sell out? Are you doing this for the love of in- industry or just for the money? And then you can actually see whether they were telling the truth with those questions. Thanks to Cryer Malt. This is Good Brews Week, or is it Brews Week Good? Whatever it is, it's back again. We're going to get sorted fairly soon. But joining me today on the podcast are two people, not just one. One is one you're probably fairly familiar with, and that's Matt Kierkegaard in our Brisbane studios. G'day, Matt. G'day, Prof. Uh, Mate, nice to be chatting to you uh, and getting away from this uh, on-again, off-again leadership spill in Canberra that's uh, taking place as we record this. Well, I was just going to speak to you too. Uh, have I got the numbers just before we go ahead? <laughs> Am I still running the show or what? What's going on? Are you telling me there's a push against me as uh, <laughs> as acting editor? I just stay right out of that. Do you know, I think it's times like these that I real I, I work out why God invented beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and joining us from our Western Australian studios, it's uh, Girl Plus Beer. It's Pia Point and welcome back, Pia. Hi, how are you? Yeah, we're well. Um Nice. Uh, look, we haven't just got you back on uh, because of your dulcet tones. Uh, it's for many and varied reasons, partly because I guess you give a really good insight into an area of the craft beer world that perhaps people, on particularly on the East Coast, kind of get a feel for, kind of know a little bit about, but don't really know uh, the ins and outs. And it's it's for me, it's a really interesting one because I see it growing in the same way uh, that, that I've seen Brisbane grow. Uh, particularly in the last three or four years in terms of the number of quality breweries. But I still kind of think of Perth as not a colonial outpost, but certainly a much smaller um, <laughs> general population. And therefore, the 5% of the you know the, the craft beer nerds is an even smaller percentage again. So I guess I kind of – and we'll, we'll probably get, get into that um, as we go later on. Um, that's actually, but but that, that's to- actually a really good – Point, Prof. Um, I, I you know, don't want to hijack the conversation, you know, in the first two minutes. But whenever I speak to brewers on on, on the west coast, you know, it it, it is the most isolated um, capital city in the world, as, as we're constantly told. But there's also a long distance between, uh, you know, the, the the east coast brewing centres and the west coast brewing centres, and look, it's probably not the right term for it, but there is a bit of a frontier mentality on the West Coast that a lot of the issues that maybe some of the brewers are a little bit more uniformly behind um, over here, such as the excise changes from 50 to 30 litre kegs, um, which seem to be met fairly you know, solidly uh, in favour of on the East Coast. A lot of the West Coast brewers were a little bit concerned because they saw that as um, you know the opportunity for... East Coast beers to flood into WA, and also, you know, beers from maybe Asia, which are quite close by sea um, to to Perth, um, and there, there just does seem to be a slightly different outlook on on the on the West Coast than over here. Is, is that something that you've noticed, Peter? And I, I know that you're well connected in the uh, local industry over there. Uh, maybe it's just all this glorious sunshine that we get all year round makes us uh, makes us think a little bit differently. Um, yeah, look, I, I've noticed that that 
um, myself as well. And I suppose it's um, I don't really I don't really get I suppose the the concern of East Coast sort of coming over. I think it's and we'll probably get on this uh, later with some of the articles you guys sent through from this week to to chat about. But I think it's um, probably more important for us to be looking outwards as opposed to panicking about things maybe coming in. Um, but I, I I do acknowledge I might be on the outer on that one here in WA. Is there a concern, Pia, do you think, um, and I, I say this because uh, I think off the top of my head, uh, Creatures, Gauge Roads, Feral, we can get pretty easy access to over here, certainly in Victoria. Um, and but, the, but I know that there are lots and lots of other small brewers. Presumably, the tyranny of distance is too great for them, particularly when they're, when they're starting out, and it's very much about being a part of your, your local community. Now, I guess you have the advantage of, you know, if you're in the Swan Valley or if you're in the Margaret River area or, you know, you're in, a, in Perth or, or Fremantle, it might be a little bit easier to kind of engage with your local community. But they can only drink so much beer, and given that there are fewer of them, the more breweries that come along, presumably the harder it is for, for those who are establishing um, or beginning to, to, to become established to sort of, you, you don't want to say, oh, we're going to have to start sending our, our beer, you know, across the other side of the country, which presumably is not ideal. Yeah, look, I, I think it's definitely a, a we're a really, and I suppose everyone would say this, but we're a really tight community here and here in WA. We always try to support each other, help each other out, and you know whether you're you're big or small, um, everyone's there to support each other. So there probably is a bit of that. Well, you know, we're really building something here, or we've got something really good going. Um, and then, as you say, like with everyone who comes over from the east, it's less and less, you know, tap points or, or retail opportunities to um, to put beer through, but. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a bit of a, a more than merrier sort of sort of person. <laughs> well, well, good beer will find its own measure, I guess. But one of the things that's often pointed out to me is that with the closure of the Swan Brewery, uh, WA doesn't have its own state brewery anymore. Um, you know. Queensland has Forex, for better or worse. New South Wales has Tui's. Um, Victoria has uh, VB or Carlton Draft. And in those beers, South Australia has... Uh, yeah, West End is West the brewery, the, the Lion Brewery. The, the, the Lion Brewery. But, yeah, WA doesn't really... You know, WA is the one state that its state beer is probably a craft beer if, if, if you considered that Little Creatures was the um, state brewer. Yeah, it, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to find out. I suppose, like, if you just did a general public survey, so you know, take all the beer nerds out of it, um, as to what they think the state beer is. And I reckon people would still say Swan Draft, even you know, the, the sneaky brewed for WA instead of brewed in WA, um, has passed a lot of people by over here. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe creatures is something people would cite as as the state beer. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, we might just let our listeners know that uh, in today's program, the three stories that we are going to cover in no particular order. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at the wheels falling off the Barrow Boys, but uh, Grand Ridge picks up West City. Craft beer wars, Matt, us versus them. And uh, can you taste the ownership? I guess it's a thorny one. It's one that we've touched on quite a bit before. Uh, and then we're going to take a quick look at Kanaki. And I didn't make up that one. That was already there. So, uh, Barrow Boys, probably a little bit of sad news, I guess, but perhaps not all that surprising. Um, started by some ex-creatures guys who who moved off once the, I guess, the independence uh, was, was lost to them, if that's a fair way to say it. Uh, so Ash Hazel and uh, Dean Romeo started the, the brand out. 
there was an intention to um, have their own brewery at, at some stage, but they ended up just being a, a gypsy brewer. Uh, Ash then took up the position at Colonial as the head brewer there. Dean's since moved off, and I, I caught up with him a couple of weeks ago when I was up in uh, Brisbane checking out his new digs, which is the Fallon's Brewery down at the um, Howard Smith Wharves project. And so Rob Raffer, who was kind of, I guess, the the business behind the the business, um, was kind of left to do it all on his own. Uh, whether he sniffed the wind and th- sort of thought, yeah, look, it, it's a big job. Uh, is it really worth, if we can't have our own brewery, uh, are we just another brand on the shelves? Um, your thoughts, Pia? Um, oh, look, it, it's, it's never, uh, you know, you never want to see anyone anyone closing. And um, But but the guys, see, you know, it's great to see Ash at Colonial. And when I've caught up with him here in WA when he's come over, um, it, you know, it's been great to see him on the team. And uh, he's really cultivating, I think, a good um, a good crew um, across you know, uh, across the country. So, yeah, it's, yeah, as you say, probably probably won't surprise a lot of people and always sad to see a brand go. Um, but, you know, at least the guys are still in the industry and doing some pretty amazing things. Yeah, exactly. What do you reckon, Matt? Because I don't know, did you get much Barrow Boys up your way? No, I remember when they first launched, I was sent, I think it was their Amber Lager, or they, they, they did a lager that was yeah, just... Stormy Lager. It was Stormy called. Lager, which, I, I mean, I, I just remember, I, you know, you get sent a lot of beer and you don't always get a chance to acknowledge it. But when I tried it, I um, made a point of texting Ash to say how good it was because it like, it was just a beautifully made beer. Um, and I was always surprised that when I got down to Melbourne, it seemed to be in, you know, really unlikely and upmarket, um, you know, restaurants and places like that. So they obviously had not only a good quality product, but they were getting out there. But, it's just hard. I mean, it's a really competitive market um, for anybody. And I guess as a gypsy brewer who's making really solid beers that uh, aren't the McKellar, you know, style beers where it, it, it's a tall headline um, and, and you can get away with, uh, you know, not having a um, – and, and you get so much A core range. A, a core yeah, range yeah. style um, thing. It, 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 I mean, I don't know that it's easier, but it's probably more viable – to do that it, it to me it like it, it it's quite sad um that they've gone by the wayside because it is a really good um that they were really good beers but it just shows that you know just because you're saving the costs on not having stainless steel maybe it does come at a bit of a business cost of not having a brand and a, you know as strong a brand and a story when you are out there and, and this probably isn't relevant to the barrow boys themselves um specifically but you know I just wonder that there are a lot of people who go down the contract route to get in to establish a brand, but I guess when you haven't got a half million dollars worth of stainless steel and a five-year lease and all of the sunk costs, it's harder to build a business, but then it's potentially also easier to just say, you know, look, we, we gave it a try. We're not getting the traction that we want. We've road tested it, and it's a little bit easier to walk away. Um, so... Yeah. I, I, I don't know. There's just a lot captured in in, in that, but uh, you know, it, look, it, it, it's a shame. But I think it says a lot about the market. It's interesting too that in the in the same story that the Crafty Pint uh, published, West City, West City Brewing. Because I'm thinking because there's Westside Ale Works, and that's what I'm getting confused about. Which is which is Casey Wagner. Um, he's got his own sort of kit and everything. West City Brewing, um, snapped up by by Grand Ridge, um, <laughs> and um, so West City Brewing, a much younger 
brand and certainly one that's, I guess, look, I, I think of it along the same sort of lines as for those who know old wives' ales, which is kind of, you know, a few mates, home brewers, you know, got together and have, and have created a, a label, brew when they can, where they can, um, and then and then sell as they can. Um, interesting that, first of all, the Barrow Boys, Rob's decided to just kind of, I guess, I guess just, just drop the project or, or, or kind of just let it uh, run the stocks out and that's it. For the moment, but presumably he still owns the the IP, owns the recipes and the the logos and all that sort of stuff. That it wouldn't be for sale. That somebody may may not want to have, have picked that up to perhaps add that into their their portfolio. Whereas um, Grand Ridge have seen in something in West City um, that they want to add to their portfolio. Well, I guess it's um it, it's one of those things. Maybe West City was hawking it and sort of uh, you know getting around to you know letting people know privately. And there's a whole lot of business. They, they have been they have been up for sale for quite a while. Yeah. So you know, and and maybe uh, I mean, look, this is purely speculation, which I don't necessarily like um, doing. But you know, uh, you know, if I was running a business um, and I didn't want to be selling a distressed asset you know to say look you know we're getting out and if somebody saw value maybe they'd approach me and uh you know offer to buy it um if 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 they like the recipes and and those sorts of things but you know like it's just one of those things and you know just on the the west side you know we are seeing some you know a lot of guys uh, gypsy you know, gypsy brewing is a rather glamorous way of um <laughs> referring to you know what can sometimes be vanity brewing where you've got a couple of mates you don't really, you know, you, you'll you'll you tell yourselves you're having a go, and you'll you're creating some beers and a brand, and you know, seeing. But where we're it not takes confident you. enough to stump up the the quarter mill for the stainless, and and to and to I guess you know, and yeah, there are different ways. There are many ways to skin a cat. Yeah, and and there's sometimes, and again, not talking about the stories that we're actually re- referencing, but you you do see people who you know it, it, it's vanity brewing where they love walking, you know putting on social media, our beer's on tap here and having their decal and, you know, having a T-shirt for their mates and those sorts of things. They may be moving, you know, five or six kegs a week. Um, but, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I tend not to get invested in some of those brands. Um, I tend not to, you know, spend too much money on them because when I feel that it is a bit of a uh, vanity brand you know, I sort of think, well, I'd actually rather give my money to investing in breweries that are going to be around in three or four years' time. But and but that's a purely personal, like that's a that's my personal um, decision making tree when I buy beers. And I sort of think, well, you know, good luck to you if if you and your mates want to have a bit of a crack and you've got some friends in the bar industry that want to put your beer on. Half your luck, but I would much rather be you know, support personally breweries that you know have invested and need that support to stay in the industry for years to come. It goes to show how um, difficult it is to, I think, to, to build a brand in beer now when you don't have a, a, a venue or a bar or a cellar door that people can come and, and visit you and, and get a, you know, walk in and get a really good idea of who you are, what you're doing and, you know, give you a sense of place, I suppose. Like working for John, working for, for Nail, you know, who've been around for you know a very, very long time. I'd still do events. I'd sort of, you know, has anyone not heard of Nail before? And in a group of 30, there'd still be, you know, one, two, three people who'd never heard of Nail before. And given, you know, it's in home state, 
John's been brewing for a very long time now. Um, that was always really surprising, uh, really surprising to me. But it's it's difficult when people can't, you know, they don't associate it with, you know, oh, I went I went down south, you know, I went to beautiful, you know, Dunsborough, and I went to Mealat Beach, and then we went to Eagle Bay, and people have that, you know, that that connection that is um, so valuable, so valuable. And I think too, it's it, it's it reflects the growing trend that um, it's much easier to have a destination, to have a venue, because it, particularly if I'm if I'm going, you know, rare trips uh, out west, um, and it's generally you know for work, and so I might only be there two or three days. I don't necessarily want to visit. I, I don't mind going to a to a bar um, because then I can sort of see, okay, what's new, what brands maybe haven't I heard of, what breweries have, you know are new to me. But at the end of the day, I'd still rather sort of do a bit of homework ahead and, and visit three or four breweries than three or four bars. So I think that's where the advantage yeah. or the disadvantage that um, contract brewers or gypsy brewers or vanity brewers have is they don't have that, um, I guess, that point of ownership. Yeah, definitely. It's much harder to engage with people if you don't have somewhere for them to do that that isn't Instagram or, or Facebook or anything like that because as, as great as those tools are, it's, it doesn't beat bringing people into your venue and them having, you know, sitting down with their mates, having some beers, having some food, seeing the stainless from where they're sitting, it's, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to beat that. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, you know, there's also that added advantage of, of being able to speak to the, the person who designed the beer or the guy who brewed the beer or the girl who uh, kegged the beer or whatever it might be. You can actually speak to them and uh, I guess, you know, it, it puts a face to, the, to, to, to a brand. Yeah, definitely. And I think because there's a little less understanding, I suppose, of, you know, when, when you go to a, when you go to a winery, people quite happily sort of just walk through the vines. They understand sort of where they're, where they're at. Um, but, you know, someone asked me the other day, um, you know, where, where I'm working, like, oh, do people just sort of wander through the brewery? And I'm like, well, you wouldn't even try to. It's a whole bunch of, you know, stainless. It doesn't look like somewhere where you should go sort of wandering through. So for people to then be able to see, you know, see the tanks and see the brewer and, and see, you know, people at work in there kind of, I think, put some, some context to it and some like, oh, yeah, this is made by humans, not maybe, you know, just, you know, button pressing and things like that. Yeah, I reckon we almost need to, to stop focusing on, you know, taking people through the stainless and, and showing them the, the malt room and the, um, the hop fridge because I think uh, just working with the ingredients, it just, I think it puts people back in touch, particularly at the moment with all the talk of drought around the country, that it reminds us that beer at, at its heart is a, it's an agricultural product. It's not a, it's not a factory product. You know, mm-hmm. it's not engineering. It's 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 science and it's agriculture. Um, so maybe that's what we need to sort of look at. Anyway, look, we must keep moving on. Um, and interestingly, uh, us and them, Matt, you've sent through a um, a piece for us to look at from Vinepair uh, titled "Craft Beer Was Built Upon an Us Versus Them Ethos." Now it's tearing us apart. Discuss. Yeah, look, it, it's an interesting article that we'll include in the show notes. Um, and, and it is one of those things that if you think back, you know. 10, 15 years ago, uh, Prof, craft beer had to mark itself out as being different to something, you know, and it was spoken about the craft beer revolution. And you and I have discussed 100 times before, we sort of spent the first five years or so telling people what we weren't. Yep. Whereas now we've, we've sort of moved towards, here's what craft beer is. But back there, it's not a commodity. Uh, it's not a factory product. It's not mass produced. It's not made with, um, you know, sugars and adjuncts and, um, you know, laboratory trickery. Until it is. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I just thought that was an interesting article because it did crystallise so much of 
you know, what, what's going on. And we did spend so much time telling people what we weren't and we were rebelling against something. Um, and craft beer held out a promise because it was against something, it then stood for something. Um, but as the industry has grown and it's broadened, we realise it's actually much more multifaceted than that. But it's causing problems with the blowback. You know, I think Elysian was one of the breweries that they referenced, you know, that was really anti-corporate um, until it wasn't, until it sold out. And the <laughs> yeah. narrative is changing. But to be fair too, Dick Cantwell um, sort of made quite a, not a song and dance, he, he certainly made his feelings known when he left the business um, that he would have preferred it not happen and, and all that sort of thing. And, and he's now brewing, uh, again, under under a different label, which is, again, independent. But but it's happened to plenty of breweries. And actually, I was having a discussion just the other night at um, at the local tap house where we celebrated 10 years of, um, of Ale Stars and chatting to people because the, the news, obviously, about Mornington Peninsula Brewery had just broken. And people were sort of saying, well, but hang on, but even before, how independent were they? If you've got 19 different investors, and obviously those, you know, if one of those investors, I don't know, also has shares in CUB or ABM, does that like, how do we how do we define that independence? And that was that other article though, um, from Lou Bryson uh, talking about, you know, why is AB InBev um, different to a venture capitalist that wants, you know, that is potentially even more rapacious rapacious because they need to see faster, uh, you know, profit growth so they can then sell the business at a higher margin, whereas a, a business that has a, you know, significant investment in the category is to some extent going to nurture that category a little bit better you would um, imagine because they've got a long-term vested interest in it do, do breweries matt maybe need a little like a little um temperature gauge on the on the cans that shows their um you know uh, passion investment <laughs> level or something like yeah. that like they, they, they need we're actually passionate sp- about it we're about make yeah they, they need going, an x-ray showing we kind of want to make money but we still love our thing or we're just about the like money. the beer labels that have got like you know five hops and then four of them might be black jacks to show you how hoppy it is and maybe it's a, a passion level that looks like that. Exactly. It, it, so we exactly. need a little heart, little, five little hearts. <laughs> maybe we need to do one of those uh, lie detector scans, like do a lie detector test and the can oh, wrapping thermal. is... Yeah, colour yeah. changes. Um, well, well, you know, and, and it shows the questions: Are you going to sell out? Are you doing this for the love of in- industry or just for the money? And then you can actually see whether they were telling the truth with those questions. And that's the the, the, the wrap around the can. Look, and and that's so the realistically, silliness. at the end of the day, is it? Do you just do we just drink because you just love that brand or you love that particular? Because let's face it, if you if you want a pale ale, you can go to just about every brewery in Australia owned multinational home brewer the whole lot and you'll get a pale ale yep so really do you just find i really like that particular brand and just enjoy it or do we need to think you know overthink it if people didn't overthink it we we would be out of jobs let's face it um so you know (laughs) folks overthink (laughs) it as much as we get to the next (laughs) wait until we get to the next topic folks um (laughs) independence and ownership aren't a mark of quality um and can you taste independence? No, you can't. You can taste quality. Um, and sometimes, you know, these businesses, uh, the, the bigger businesses, have, you know, an investment in, in quality. And that's a fantastic thing. But every flavour test you do shows that perception does matter. And there's that famous wine industry test where you can give somebody a glass of wine and measure the brain, the electric activity in their um, pleasure senses. And you can tell them it's a $10 glass of wine. And they'll experience a certain amount of pleasure and you can give them a $75 glass of wine and they'll physically experience more pleasure. 
just by telling them it's a $75 glass of wine when you've been both glasses of wine are the same. So if independence matters to you, an independent beer may well perceive itself as tasting better. And that, and that's and, and I get that. I guess for me, one of the reasons that the anti-big beer industry um, came in for such a bashing 10 or 15 years ago, um, and I did a bit of bashing uh, myself, was because I, I, I saw back then they weren't interested in cultivating the industry they were interested in strip mining and they brought out you know the abominations that are low-carb beers they didn't sell them on flavor they sold them on this lie that these beers are better for you that damage the industry um, and craft brewers i saw as being willing to mine you know smaller margins and smaller uh, demographics and create an interesting product and to me that actually mattered um, you know, if, if the big brewers had have started investing in craft beer with the same enthusiasm that they are now that it's approved concept 15 years ago, basically we just wanted better beer um, and they would have given it to us. And that's where some of that divide came through. Um, and, and you already see the way that some of the big brands, you know, as soon as it falls below a certain number of units, it gets killed off, um, that if we see too much domination by one or two big companies, the market will fairly quickly go back to being what it once was because they would much, you know, big businesses want to sell product, you know, all businesses want to sell products efficiently, um, but there's an incentive for them to sell, you know, fewer beers to more people. Um, and so I, my personal purchasing decisions, again, I like to support independent breweries who I know are making good beer because to me, that's the best way to keep the vibrancy of the industry. I've got nothing against the big breweries, except that I would much rather have a vibrant industry. And so I support the elements of that industry that are making it vibrant. Well said. In a garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. On a related note, it quacks like a duck. Thoughts on <laughs> Kanaki. So this came from um, the Full Pint Craft Beer News out of the States. And I'll, I'll just read the first the first paragraph. There's this thing in my backyard and my neighbours keep telling me it's a duck, but I'm not sure. Let's see what you think. It walks like a duck, but so did a girl I knew in high school. It has feathers and a beak, but the latest research says that some dinosaurs did too. It quacks like a duck, but there might be someone in the bushes with a duck call. What is this thing in my backyard? Why it's Kanaki, the disruptive collective of the of like-minded brewers dedicated to bringing quality and innovative flavours to beer drinkers in the name of independent craft beer. So this is all about six breweries that have maintained their independence uh, while securing capital and management expertise that will allow them to expand into new markets and generally save the day. And there's a couple in this story, Matt, that I, I wasn't aware of. Uh, one that I tried to visit, um, Alexandra Knoll uh, came out and... Uh, Gee, she took home some trophies from the uh, AIBAs this year, you'll recall. She won the, um, the, the double IPA, won the IPA category, and also won Best International 
beer mm-hmm. or small international brewery. I can't remember which one. It was one of the big gongs. Uh, and that was three weavers um, out of California. So I didn't realise that they were partly owned by or supported by, you know, private equity. Um, Oscars Blues is another one. Um, Squatters slash Wasatch. Cigar City, I think I knew about. Oscar Blues, I think most people would probably be aware of. Deep Alum, I'm not familiar with. And um, Perrin was the other one. What did I mention? Cigar City down in Florida. Uh, they were over for the AIBAs a couple of years ago as well. Your thoughts, Matt? This was just a nice follow-on from the other one. You know, that, that's Kanaki is the group of you know that has been invested in by a uh, venture capitalist, um, and you know, it, it's just really following on from our previous discussion. Are venture capitalists better? Um, custodians of, of beer than AB InBev or Heineken or those. And, you know, the, the, the only argument that I've ever heard that they are is because it comes down to the level of control that they already exert in the industry. And one of the reasons that independence matters in, in Australia is because the, the, the big brewers exert so much control that they have the, the ability to, to, to shape it. And, and I understand that point of view but at the same time i don't know i think the count of view as i said is that does a venture capital firm that wants to put together businesses create synergies and then grow profitability so they can then send that sell that business off for a vaster profit are they necessarily looking at the long-term interests of the industry or are their interests much less long-term than some of the big some of the big breweries Um, and i I thought Lou, lou made a very good point there's a lot of misplaced hatred towards the big brewers um and 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 actually also even come back to that in terms of a uh, off channel conversation i had about our chat with um goose island last week and I, I think he makes a really good point i don't think he answers any questions or solves it and he ends up saying look i'll buy i'll, I'll drink beers that i enjoy um as do I. But again, I, I see that the purchasing decisions we make, you know, buying um, sustainable beef over, um, you know, badly managed feedlot beef, uh, you know, buying, you know, milk that's not a dollar a litre um, over cheap yeah, milk. Free range a, eggs versus. Free range eggs. Every, eggs. All, all yep, of those yep. decisions, you know, like I'm, I'm anything but a hipster, but I believe that the purchasing decisions that we make do have long-term consequences for markets and that's the yeah so i mean i'm just saying the same thing as i did to the last article but i you know i just thought those two articles in tandem raised some really interesting points um, and we did speak a couple of weeks ago matt uh, specifically about the importance of breweries as a business um uh, so as well as making good beer you've got to make good business decisions and i guess if you're um if you're involved with venture capitalists that also provide um perhaps that that business mentoring or, or, or add to your business skills that you perhaps don't have, um, it's probably still better than, I guess, you know, the, the straight out, um, we'll give you some cash, but we want to see a return in, you know, five to seven years or whatever it might be. And, and if it's good enough, we're going to sell you kind of thing. I don't know. For me, it highlights like there's nothing, like nothing in beer has ever seemed black and white to me. Like it's that, and, uh, you know, and these two articles were, were really great reads, like that idea of, you know, us versus them, or, you know, is this bad or is this good? Like, there's there's pros and cons to all of it. It's just, you know, it depends on how the people involved in the business or in the brewery want to go about, you know, running their, you know, running their venue or running their, their operation and what long-term goals they have. But um, the, and, and the two articles kind of touch on it, it's that idea of, well, does it even matter? Like, we're all talking about it because we're interested in it. But, you know, does, you know, the average, the average drinker, do they, do they care or should they care or, 
you know, uh, I think there's a danger in in, in being so um, insular. You get so busy talking about sort of what other people are doing or, or, you know, what's going on within the industry and you're not talking enough to, you know, uh, outwardly. Um, are you missing an opportunity to just be engaging with customers, finding out what they what they genuinely care about or what they want to talk to you about? Yeah, and I guess too, Pia, I'm sure it's um, as relevant over there as it is over here, that at the end of the day too, there's just a lot of dumb luck involved. Like um, <laughs> it's, it, there's a very fine line between yeah, yeah, running a really good business and, and having good price point and um, having you know, good marketing and the catchy label and that sort of thing. But just knowing that the the market is so not 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 so, I guess fickle is is one way of looking at it. But you know, there's so many new things coming along. That you go, okay, I'm going to drink ten beers this week. Last week, three of three of the ones I chose might have been your brand, but this week, two other new breweries have come in. So well, I'm going to try two of those and and two from the other. Something's got to give. Yeah. I'm not going to drink fourteen beers every week now. I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes we just see you know, good beer set on the shelf for no other reason than, you know, something newer and shinier has sort of caught the eye. Yeah, you need to. You definitely, like, it's not enough to have just a good brand. It's not enough to just have um, good beer. It's not enough to just be at a good price. You need to you need to be ticking a lot of these boxes now because there is so much, yeah, as you say, there is so much competition. Um, and if you get it wrong once, that might be your only chance you had with, with that particular drinker. Yeah. Now, that might be very, very unfair. <laughs> But it is the way. It's uh, harsh, it cold, harsh reality. One of Matt's favourite ways of um, of getting beer out into the market is the tap takeover. I don't know if you've heard him mention it before. He he loves a good tap takeover. <laughs> um, what do you mean by that? You don't like tap takeovers. I was being facetious. I, I, I'm ambivalent towards them because that was a huge thing, and and I don't know if it necessarily is as much as it, it used to be. Um, and I don't know whether it's because there are more brew pubs around, or we, the the venues that are promoting good beer are promoting a broader and wider range, just generally. But the the tap takeover was kind of that thing where the core brand or the the funky brand or the hot brand um, would move, and then next week. Um, they'd go back to doing what they normally did after the tap taker was takeover was finished, but be left with, with you know fifteen three quarter to half empty kegs that would you know perhaps come back three four months later if they did another tap takeover or if you know when, when they'd run out of something to put on a tap. Don't you remember that, Matt? You were quite adamant. I'm not anti tap takeovers, <laughs> but they are a problem with uh, tap takeovers. If you've got twenty taps of you know a, a beer that's on then a lot of those beers end up sitting around. And that was just an, you know, an, an observation. Um, and I still stand with that. But, you know, don't make me out to yeah. be like a, a, a crank who's just, you know, anti, anti-tap takeovers. A bit fucking prickly, yeah. this morning. Oh, it, it's not black and white, though. I've had a bit of a, a few goes at me this week, so. <laughs> Pia, from a, from a nowhere <laughs> man point of view, Mm-hmm. You've got uh, a seasonal coming out, or you've got um, your rebranding, or uh, you're re-energizing your core beers, or whatever like that. How do you go about getting that out of the market? What are the the three, I guess, the most important pillars? Like, where how how do you get those get the message out? So, is it like, is it social well, media? Is it uh, a meet the brewer dinner? Is it a you know industry for meal? It's a it's a attack on all sides, I think, sort of thing. You know, you want to you want to make sure that um, that your your influencers and your and your bloggers are relevant to what you do and understand what you do uh, uh, on board and know what's going on. Um, you know, key key sort of venues and bars and uh, places like that where people are going to go and 
drink it outside of our venue. And yeah, social media is huge. You know, it's a it's a quote unquote free uh, marketing, um, but it, it requires a lot of time and a lot of energy to to go into it. So um, yeah, it's just almost about being loud in the right places, <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Are you looking at um, most of my beer is going to be drunk on premise? Most of my beer is going to be drunk at, uh, say, the venue or uh, at pubs around the place or at home? What's your mindset in terms of the retail arm? Yeah, definitely. Look, uh, we, we don't do packaged uh, yet. So uh, the vast majority of the beer that we make is drunk um, on site at our West Leadable um, brew pub uh, and then kegs that sort of go out to uh, to other bars and restaurants and things like that is, you know, our way of kind of reaching out a bit more and letting people know that we're around. So it's almost, I guess, just as much of a marketing exercise as it is a sales exercise. Um, and, you know, WA venues love promoting WA, WA products as well. So hopefully we're adding to adding to that and, you know, it's really cool at the moment in, in Perth because you've you've now got this um, little group of uh, breweries like right in the centre of the city that you can visit easily, you know, within a, a $10 Uber or, you know, you can actually probably use the, the cat buses, which is our, oh, what's the cat stands for now? Central Area Transit. So the free buses that go around um, go around the city um, and you can you can hit up us, you can go to Northbridge Brewing, you can go to Bright Tank in East Perth now, um, you could take one train stop and go to Blaster. Uh, you can get a bevy when that's open at the stadium. So, you know, it, it sort of adds a whole, a proper hub, I suppose. So where you could go to Frio, hit up a couple of places. You go to Swan Valley, hit up a few places. You can now do it in the centre of Perth, which is really cool. Um, but I think I've digressed a little bit. Um, and your answer is yes, we do sell most of our beer on site. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. Uh, the other thing you were talking about uh, off air before we pressed record, Pia, was that you're sort of, uh, apart from... Uh, working a lot at the brewery and moving house, which is um, which is fun at the best of times. But you're in the middle of festival season. Talk us through uh, beer festivals. Are really, sort of, I guess, changing or, or you know, need to adapt to a to a growing market. And over here, we're we're lucky enough to have Gabs, which as a as a standalone event, but also part of um, Good Beer Week. I guess it's probably in a category all of its own. But then we've got all these other regional beer festivals going on. What's what's it like over over west? How important are they? Um, they're they're definitely important. I think for um, emerging and up and coming um, brands. We're sort of so we had Perth Craft Beer Festival over the weekend, which um, sort of kicks off festival season, I suppose. Um, but for for WA, even though we have um, pretty great weather all year round, they all tend to be in the same kind of uh, eight to, to, to ten week period so it's um, this uh, this time of the time of the year where everyone uh, realizes things are about to get really crazy um, look when when I was working for in my last sort of year working for, for nail for example um, we kind of pulled back from the festival scene only because I'd find I'd be standing at a stand and people would kind of walk past and go oh hey I love your red and your VPA and then they keep going because they've had you know, sort of those beers before. So they'd wander off and go see um, either breweries that were from the East Coast that they don't normally get to interact with or they'd go off and uh, seek out whoever had, I suppose, the most sort of limited releases and things like that. So I think from a brewery point of view, you have to be quite strategic about what beers you do take because you're competing with 30, 40, or in the case of over the weekend, I think it was closer to 50 um, other breweries. So, you know, to grab people's attention is is really, really hard, particularly, you know, when you're not, um, I suppose you don't have bigger marketing dollars to 
to do big yeah. flashy um, stands and things like that. So it's yeah, I I think beer festivals are really really good um, when they're run well, both from a customer and a supplier point of view. It can be really it's a real strain on on resources. So when a festival runs smoothly back a house, um, that's something that is really really uh, really really appreciated. And did you say was it the Perth Beer Festival? It was a three day festival. Yeah, so Friday night, two sessions on Saturday and a Sunday. Um, so the, the Saturday night session, as I'm sure will surprise no one, sold out very quickly. The Saturday day, I think they did really well. And they did this last year as they made it a, a free session, but you had to buy your glass. Um, but it made it more sort of like a family a family day. You could come through, you know, 12 to 4 and not um, – or you're unlikely to encounter maybe, you know, the, the very loud Saturday night vibes. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, it was right in the heart of Northbridge in this sort of space that hasn't been really utilised uh, very much over the last few years. So yeah, everyone, yeah, it was really, really good. And, and what I liked most about this festival was that it was no free tasters and there was no plastic glasses. Uh, so you got your, your, your proper glass. Um, it had sort of three fill marks on it, 100 mil, 285 or 500, and you went from there. So, you know, a festival that doesn't do free tasters is, um, is a great thing for us as a supplier uh, and also, you know, ensures that every drop of beer we put out has, has value on it. There's that three-pronged dilemma. You've got to have the price to get in has got to be so that you get more people, you know, that enough people through the door. Then your, your take from the brewers has got to be fair and equi- equitable so that you can attract um, a good mix of brewers because you don't want all brand new brewers. You want a few established names there, obviously, as you draw cards or, you know, to um, to give them a, a bit of reward as well. And then, obviously, the the festival owner has got to make sure that, you know, he or she's not doing it as a, you know, for charity. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it's, well, it's with any relationship, everyone's got to walk away feeling happy. Like, if someone walks away feeling like they've been mistreated, uh, then uh, it's not a good result. Yeah, Matt and I were discussing that, um, where we met? Was this over one, over, over beers one night after the Ecker? There were so many discussions, Prof. Yeah, but I think we sort of thought it, <laughs> it would be interesting to look into. How do you do it well? How, how, do, how do you really nail a... A festival. It, it, it's actually on my list of, um, and, and maybe we can get Pierre to uh, to appear on the panel. But it's actually on That's one of the panels thinking. that I'm looking at doing for a uh, for an upcoming podcast. Is talking to you know uh, finding out a little bit more about what makes a good event from a brewer's perspective. Um, because I think there, you know, as we've dis- discussed in the past, Prof, there are a lot of considerations. Pop up events are very expensive because you don't have the benefit of the infrastructure. Everything needs to come in. Um, and you go from zero to 100 um, and then back to zero again very, very quickly. And that comes at a cost. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of people who seem to want to make money on their first event, whereas, gee, I think the guys at Gabs took a couple of years before they broke even. Yeah, the other part of the festival uh, discussion as well is that, you know, it's, it's not like a pop-up event opens and it doubles the amount of people who would normally go out on that any given time. So if you had 100 people that go out on a Saturday and there's a pop-up event, it's not like, 200 people come out of their their homes. You know, it might be say 140 people, but they just the pie just gets cut differently. So you know what the debate that was happening here in in WA, and I don't know if you guys were seeing it in the East Coast as well as more pop ups were happening. But was that you know the the bricks and mortar venues were saying, hey, you know we're you know we're paying rent every day. We're you know we we we've got our liquor light. You know we're doing all of these things, and we've got a venue all year round. And then you know these pop ups just come through and kind of you know 
quote unquote steal business away from us, you know, there, there's got to be some sort of, you know, there's got to be some sort of balance here in terms of how many pop up bars and events are allowed to to go on. So we've um yeah, that's been a very heavy discussion here in WA. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's the big picture, isn't it? You want the precinct, whether it's, you know, the Frio area or the or Perth CBD or, uh, you know, the Valley or, you know, Newtown, Marrickville, whatever. You want it so that you're bringing, establishing it as a, there's always something going on. Um, and that way people will, I guess, more likely to, to turn up and support all the different venues and all the different festivals and activities and events that, that pop up. Um Guys, we do need to keep moving. We might, Matt, swing to our letter of the week. It's one that's been fermenting for a while uh, until we got through the exhibition so we could actually get a guest on. I was just going to do the the one from Daniel Ridd, first of all, and then yes. just make mention of the other one that we got. So uh, Daniel is a, um, a regular listener and now a regular contributor to the mailbag. Hi again, Bruce Newsers. Trying to keep the correspondence to a minimum, but again, it seems I have something to contribute. That's good. Uh, this time, though, it's some technical feedback. I hope you find it helpful. Uh, listen to the interview with Dermot O'Morda on Tuesday night on my drive from Bendigo to Ballarat. Unfortunately, I found it difficult to hear Dermot's comments. I nearly turned the podcast off in frustration. Um, that might be something we need to look at, Matt. Um, in comparison to other podcasts, I've listened to the vast majority of the time. Audio quality is not an issue. Um, I think you do a great job producing and conducting interviews using VOIP and or over the phone. Uh, sure, it must be challenging balancing the technical limitations of geographically dispersed guests with maintaining good audio quality. Thought you might appreciate the feedback. Yes, we did. Thank you, Daniel, who is a, a web developer and an IT support analyst and an advisory IT specialist from memory. We are working on uh, constant, continuous improvement is our motto here at Australian Brews News. That's it. And uh, in fact, as we sign off uh, at the end of this particular episode, Matt and I will be doing a little bit of a workshop with uh, another format that I think was pretty sure was uh, recommended to us by Daniel himself. Um, you haven't put in who this is from oh sorry prof it was one that we'd uh, that had come through previously so oh, yeah that's like that's like five pages ago on my email list what are your thoughts on the recent advertising around bolters double ipa the video on social media piqued my interest this is brian's mullet blowing in the breeze not a care in the world in slow motion wonderful isn't it the ad seems to employ the same marketing stereotypes we've seen time and time again from the big commercial brewers, masculine and dumb. I frequently hear on your show and others how craft is more inclusive than mainstream beer, how more and more women are venturing into craft beer. The brewers who persist with this kind of gendered advertising are leaving out a significant portion of craft beer consumers. Um, are Bolter merely doing themselves a disservice or is this ad a step backwards for Australian craft beer as a whole? What would Jane and Danielle, Pia Poynton, Mary claire Jarrett, Melissa Cole, or Terry Farrandorf, to name a few, have to say about this one. Pia, <laughs> did you see Did you see the bolter? For those who don't know, um, I... it, it features the man with the best name in craft brewing, Brian Kistonsoli, uh, in a out, out in the outback sort of scene, you know, uh, kind of, well, mulleted and standing on a keg, you know, releasing the bolter double IPA. Your thoughts? I, I actually didn't see this until uh, until you sent it through, Matt. Um, it, it somehow passed me by, which is odd because I, I really like Bolton. I really love the double IPA. I think it's one of the best double IPAs um, out there at the moment. Um, I, I thought it was funny. Um, I, I guess I see where where the, the writer is coming from, um, but I had a bit of a giggle. It wasn't – I just thought it was – I took it as a, a parody on, you know, uh, old – 
um, Australian beer sort of sort of advertising. Um, I didn't take it. Um, yeah, I didn't. I don't think it's a backward step. And I think that point where he kind of pours the beer on his head. Um, if that had been a woman, I actually probably would have would have found that a bit meh. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I thought it was fun. I, I, I really thought it was fun. Yeah, the writer also uh, includes a quote, we're only ever about good beer, um, referring to um, Sterling Howland's comments on Ale of a Time's 85th episode. He also said to the guys, we don't use surfing in our marketing because it would be so cliche and obvious. The writer then says, sorry, Sterling, but a bogan with a mullet tipping beer on himself is incredibly cliche and obvious. So I've got to disagree, um, like 100%. I, I, I see it as... Um, not taking itself too seriously. I think if we if we can't use stereotypes to indicate a certain type of person, and in so in doing so, say, but that's not what this is. You know, this this is actually a, we're we're doing a bit of a parody. It's it's the opposite of what we do. I think that's fine. I think sometimes we can take ourselves a little bit too seriously. Um, and look, every advertising, it, it's a, you know, it's going to put some people offside, and I, I totally get that. Um, this one, I didn't I didn't think it did. What about you, Matt? This came up in my Facebook feed many, many times, and from the from the second that I saw the the, the mullet, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of Bolter. Love them. I think Sterling is a is a very bright guy, and I agree that they haven't really made too many cliched um, you know statements uh, about the the owners or anything like that. They've just made great beer. Um, but when this came up in my Facebook feed, I just kept on travelling because I sort of thought, ah, oh, you know. It, 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 I, maybe there was part of me that thought this isn't the, the, the sort of thing that I think is good for beer, much the same as calling beer booze and those sorts of things. And so I just kept going. So I, I you know, I, I suspect that um, Daniel is onto something there because I felt, a, you know, I, I felt an, enough. Oh, was of this the Daniel same. as well? Was it the same Daniel? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, Sorry, Daniel, that I didn't have the your name on on this one. Go on. I, I, I felt enough that it was a bit mere not to even bother looking at it. But not enough to then get incensed with a view to you know, adding it in 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 the show rundown. But yeah, I think we, we we can have a bit of fun, can't we? Well, we can. But once we got, once... it doesn't have to be too serious. It, it wasn't then, you know, sculling three of them and driving a tractor. I know that, but I just wonder what the reaction would have been is if Matilda Bay had have done it for Fat Yak, or you know, CUB had have this had been an ad for Fat Yak as opposed to our good mates at Bolter. Sort so of so thing. then, then I, yeah, but then I think we would have been quite within our rights to kind of go, uh, yeah, expect better of you guys. Whereas it, it's, it, it, you're kind of allowed to when you're not Matilda Bay, when you are Bolter. Oh, I don't know if it's expects better. Like it's, I didn't, I, I just thought it was a, you know, a very lighthearted, quick little, little parody. Um, you know, the, one of the most memorable beer ads, and I think one of the kind of the really great beer ads, was um, Carlton Draft's big ad. Remember that with the, the quiet people singing? Yeah. Like that's the, you know, that was, that was absolutely amazing. But, but at some stage, I'm pretty sure I've written, isn't it a shame that every bloke pictured in that is a buffhead? Um, you know, so when, when they actually zoom in on the people, it's overweight, unshaven blokes that I sort of think, well, is that really the face that we want to be putting forward to to beer? So on one hand, agree completely light-handed, but, you know, at the same time... But if you'd done, if you'd done it with a 1,000 members of the Chippendales, then you'd criticise them for saying, oh, you're suggesting that if you drink Carlton Draft, you'll, um, you know, it's part of a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> well, I wouldn't. It, it was funny because they were buffets. My favourite bit is when they all hit the um, the barbed wire fence and they're all climbing over it. Yeah, that, that, well, that's, that is a good point. Yeah, like the bulldog doesn't doesn't 
say to me, this is who drinks it. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's, it doesn't feel exclusive in that way. Like, oh, only this sort of human that we've pictured here is drinking this beer. It's a bit of a, <laughs> you know, that Aussie Bogan, you know, parody. It's a, you know, taking taking the piss sort of thing as opposed to, yeah, but defining their audience. Yeah. And particularly audience. given that the, the, rather than, you know, here's a, a, a smashable drink them six at a time, um, you know, mid-strength, Australian lager. No, no, this is a double IPA that will knock you on your tits if you're not careful. I disliked it enough not to even bother watching it. (laughs) So so I probably shouldn't even comment because I just sort of thought, no, this isn't something that I'm interested in in investing that three minutes of my time or however long it went for. It obviously came up on your feed, but you didn't... Did you click the sound? Not like it's it's an interesting uh, marketing thought, I suppose, in that, you know, you're someone that would definitely be interested in it. You saw it. Um, and it didn't pique your interest. So, like, yeah, did you click and, and no. get the sound? No. Or did <laughs> no, it come no. up at you? Just, so the visuals just weren't so enough. So, there wasn't to... aimed at you because they knew that you'd buy double IPA without seeing Brian Kiss von Solly in the uh, <laughs> Russell Coit shorts and the. Uh... And the point of Bogan. <laughs> I, 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 I don't like Russell Coit. I mean, it, it's just not my I, my sort of – it's such obvious uh, humour. So, anyway. it's um, Some others do have them for a, in the Australian outback, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but on that note, we do need to wrap this up because I do notice that the time clock is pointing to um, well past the cook limit. And uh, thank you very much, Pia, for joining us. Matt? Thank you very much for joining us again. And does Daniel qualify for another six-pack and another... Um, Probably uh, not a bar blade. There's only so many bar, bar blades that a bloke needs. But, but you, could give him a, you could give him a beer mat one because he's got the Bruce News ah, one. Ah, good. Yeah, I will, I'll send him one. one of my new beer mat bar blades and a Bruce News cookie. Let's send him out a Bruce News gingerbread biscuit. There we go. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> um, thanks to everyone for listening. And a special shout-out to Matt and I had an absolute ball at the ECA uh, last week, and we met so many wonderful people, many of whom, uh, as Matt uh, reminded us, uh, do listen to the show. And a special shout-out to uh, to Victoria, who is one of our one of our neighbours, um, who is studying uh, marine geo-bio-something-o. I can't remember what the third one is, but it's something to do. Not <laughs> in biro, but something sciencey. <laughs> something very, very well, like like double sciencey. But she also, uh, in her spare time, knocks out a bit of beer for um, Moondog up there as well. So um, Victoria from Philly, um, I promised I'd give her a shout out, and she's possibly going to perhaps move up a couple of um, houses next door to us, Matt, and, and perhaps sell some beer for us rather than um, flogging Maggie ready meals. Here's hoping. We'll see how we go. It's a, it's a long time till next year. We'll see how we go. But on that note, Pia, thank you very much for joining us, and we will catch you again soon. What's what's coming up in the next weeks for you? Um, a little bit more unpacking um, and, uh, yeah, drinking some good beer with good people. It's pretty much business as usual over this week. Excellent. Matt, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Prof. And, uh, mate, thank you for coming up and uh, ignoring your family for 10 days while you uh, helped me out at the show. Yeah, no, it was fun. Not ignoring my family, but, um, no, talking to people about good beer – uh, always fun. It's it's what we do. It's what I love doing. So thanks very much for uh, putting up with us again, listeners, and we will see you all again next week. And we're out.